When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the TCR number eight launch. Hello, London. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> um, really, really excited to see so many faces here this evening to kick off next year's transcontinental race number eight and to really celebrate all that is self-supported racing. <laughs> that was slightly meta. Um, we're going to firstly hear from the Lost Dot. So that is Anna and Rory who... Uh, who compromised the lost dot, who organised the transcontinental race. Um, they're going to talk us through the really exciting new checkpoints for next year. Had a little sneaky peek. It's good. And, uh, and then we're going to welcome onto the stage, or circle here, half circle, um, some of some previous veterans of the transcontinental race, who I'm sure you'll be very familiar with, to have a little panel discussion about all that is self-supported racing. Then we're going to take a little comfort break so you can get another beer, don't worry. And before we see the preview of the new documentary of the Transcontinental Race. So without further ado, please welcome Anna Haslock and Rory Kemper. Testing. Okay, this is definitely working. Control freak. Yeah. Okay, um, well, welcome to the eighth edition of the Transcontinental Race. TCR number eight will be a long race covering an estimated 4,200 kilometer distance over rugged terrain, estimating 43,000 meters of ascent, which includes, as has become traditional, sections of unpaved gravel route to challenge a rider's technical skill, bike setup, and kit choice. As our friend and founder, Michael quipped, Nothing that's worth anything is ever easy, a statement we hold to when designing the race route each year. For the first year, the race will eschew... I wrote this and forgot to see if I could pronounce the words. Uh, the Alps, exploring instead the more esoteric roots of the Carpathian Mountains. Our friends at Kamut are hosting the official TCR number eight race map this year. Throughout the year, the map will be populated with more and more detail, including the exact coordinates of the control points and the finalized parkour routes. So for TCR number eight, (laughs) we're returning to the traditional direction of west to east, starting in the easternmost tip of France in the historic port city of Brest. The city was warm and hospitable during TCR number seven uh, when we finished on the uh, beach in the Plage du Moulin Blanc. I'm really good at my French, by the way. Uh, <laughs> shortly before 6,000 cyclists finished in the... Oh, no, they could see... Anyway. Um, <laughs> shortly before people finished the PBP. Brest has featured in the, T- uh, in the uh, Twitter France in several stages in 58, 74, and 2008. And in 2018, it started the sixth stage of the um, race um, in Brest and it finished out on the Moor de Breton. The city were really excited to have us there this year and they're really excited to have us back. And we're in full-on discussions about sorting out the start times, waves, and where we're going. Um, uh, our long-term friends, Pedaled, are going to be the supporters of the start of the race at Brest. 
come on breast. Okay, so um, CP1, Control Point 1, uh, hosted again by our friends at Pedal Edge. Um, Control Point 1 pays homage to cycling history as our riders navigate a section of the Paris-Roubaix cobbles. These cobbles are some of the last remaining links to the golden era of cycling, and Paris-Roubaix remains the most famous and usually the most dramatic of the spring classics. The race has many monikers, including the Hell of the North, which refers to the experience of 1919, of, in 1919, sorry, of cyclists racing from Paris to Roubaix who experienced firsthand the horrific as- aftermath of, great, of the Great War. Journalists afterwards reported hearing racers saying they'd been through hell. Over the years, the name has stuck as the cobbles are notoriously difficult to ride, choked with dust in dry weather and slick with, and muddy in the wet. For many risers, it is a challenge to keep pedaling without puncturing or crushing. Uh, for CP2 uh, this year, Control Point 2 is going to be hosted by Kinesis. Go Kinesis! <laughs> it's going to be beckoning riders through Belgium and Germany as we head towards, and forgive me Fiona, as I try to pronounce some Austrian words, um, Grosse Spike Kugel? Thank you. <laughs> which is the highest peak in the Kropholm or the Kropholm Alps. Uh, it's the mountain range which separates the eastern part of the Carinthian uh, mountain range to southeast uh, Austria. Starting in the town of Wolfsburg, the parkour is going to take you up the Solschwolfsburg, again. <laughs> uh, the route is steep and it's tarmacked climb, but suddenly that disappears and upwards in a gravel section which navigates you across the high forests and plains of the Grosse Speak Google. <laughs> the scenery is typically alpine, featuring dark, dense forests, tall conifers. It's directly out of Grimm's fairy tales. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> okay, so on to CP3. CP3, uh, the race returns to Dormator National Park in Montenegro for the third control point of the race. Repeating the route from Plugine. <coughs> Plugine to Jablac from the, from the fourth edition of the race in 2016. The route climbs from the reservoir in the valley through rock-hewn rock tunnels to open out into the most spectacular landscape of high rolling pasture and rocky outcrops. Riders become minuscule dots on a ribbon of sweeping road that provides the most incredible vantage point on this bre- breathtaking landscape. TCR number four was to be the last race that Mike directed from start to finish. This link to his last race is a poignant and important tether to our friend and founder, the evil genius who spearheaded the current surge in adventure racing and developed this race as the gold standard of endurance ultra racing. Checkpoint four, hosted by our friends in Physique, the final checkpoint in TCR number eight, what coaxed riders to the mysterious romance of the uh, Romanian, and again, I get all of these and I can't pronounce anything, uh, Romanian Prang Mountain. There's a few Romanians here, I hope. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> With the help of a friend at Silview. Is that right? <laughs> With the help of a friend Silvu at uh, Martin Cycling Adventures, we've unearthed a little known gravel route that deviates from the Trans Alpania road route. Transalpina, thank you. Uh, <laughs> the gravel is a challenging mix of terrain that can either offer serious technical, which will offer a serious technical challenge in unforgiving weather. Allowing the parkours to be approached from different directions, so that's either from west or from east, will encounter you will encounter a number of different challenges depending on which way you decide to go. In order to assist riders uh, in selecting safer cycle routes in Romania, uh, all e-roads will be hip- will be prohibited from the race. However. We'll have short sections which enable you to link some of the minor, quieter roads together. Uh, we believe, having spent time there with Martin and spending a lot of time in the summer of 2019, that um, you can definitely have an amazing ride in Romania. It's a beautiful country and we really want people to go back and explore it. And finally, uh, the finish. In partnership with longtime friends uh, of the race Apidura. We return to the Bulgarian Black Sea coast to finish TCR number eight. The popular coastline stretches from the Romanian resorts in the north to Turkey in the south, drawing millions of foreign foreign and local tourists alike. 
Prior to 1989, the coast was internationally known as the Red Riviera, and since the fall of the Iron Curtain, its nickname has changed to the Bulgarian Riviera. (laughs) The Balkan Mountains crossed the country, reaching the edge of the Black Sea and dividing the coastline at Cape Emin. The two largest cities and main seaports on the Bulgarian Riviera are Varna and Burgas, and Burgas Burgas played host to the start of TCR No. 7 last year, and will be a popular Finnish destination for the relaxed, warm, welcoming atmosphere and easy travel links to the rest of Europe. So that's the control points. Uh, the applications to start, or the applications to register, will open up on Monday, the 25th of November at midday. Um, we have a new registration site, so you can go in, uh, which is accessible from our transcontinental.cc site you are welcome to go in beforehand and create a profile um, it's quick and pretty easy um, and then from midday the applications will open you'll have two weeks to do that and that will close on Monday the 9th of December at midnight um, you can find more information about past races uh, on the registration site and also on a normal site um, other than that bon chance I'm basically Mr. Mike. (laughs) 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 Microphone man. So before we welcome uh, some of our previous TCR riders to the stage, I'd just like to read something that Jack Enright, who's here tonight, who did an excellent reporting on the race for TCR number seven, um, shout out Jack, <laughs> said from his race reports, and it puts really perfectly the reason why Lost Dot wanted to bring this discussion here tonight. Over the last seven editions, the TCR has benefited from being outside the limelight. The race has felt something like a well-kept secret and has been loved all the more dearly for it. As more and more people stake their claim on the race, the TCR family must have a conversation about what makes it precious and what must be done to protect it. Mike Hall coined a simple phrase to describe a nuanced set of values that sum up what is so special about the TCR. The spirit of the race is something you might have heard mentioned by veteran TCR riders or referred to in Lost Dot's race report and commentary. Put simply, the spirit of the race is a commitment to autonomy and self-reliance to uphold the values of equality and fair play in order to truthfully test a sporting endeavour, or in this case, a race. The simplicity of the ten rules appeals to the riders of the transcontinental race. They appreciate and respect the fact that the onus is on them to understand the nuances of racing unsupported, with a respect for their peers and a community around the race. The transcontinental race asks its riders to leave their egos at home with only 10 rules to guide them, and they must understand and commit to riding a genuinely unsupported race, putting humility and mutual respect at the heart of every decision that they make. So, uh, without further ado... I would say I'd welcome them to the stage, but we're going to go in alphabetical order. So the first one is Anna Haslock, who of course, is in front of us. Anna has worked on the transcontinental race since TCR number three as Mike Hall's partner and colleague and became race director after Mark's passing in 2017. Now, please, let's put a warm welcome together for Darren Franks. Darren is TCR number four racer, Trans Am 2018 finisher, and eloquent and prolific blogger and social media raconteur, Darren has kept his community impressed and entertained in equal measure since his first ultra and distance race to Turkey in 2016. Welcome, Darren. Thank you. Thank you. Second up in our alphabetical list, we have James Mark Hayden. Two times... W- Come on! <laughs> Thank you. Two times winner, TCR number five and six, as well as recent impressive performances in races going a little bit off-road, such as the Silk Road Mountain Race, Italy Divide and Highland Trail 550, James is a well-known presence in the ultra-distance circuit, both on and off-road. Welcome, James. (laughs) 
Our next rider, let's welcome Jane Wadsworth. Where are you, Jane? There you are. Jane's first race, the transcontinental race, in 2015. The only half of the pair to finish. And the next year, she took on transcontinental race number four as a solo competitor, finishing in only 16 days. Welcome, Jane. Karen, where are you? Karen Tosti. <laughs> Karen. Karen raced GCR number five and finished third woman in just 14 days. She went on to win the women's podium in the transatlantic way in 2018. Welcome, Karen. This could be a London favourite. Matt Faulkner has raised the transcontinental race. He's raced every year since 2016, plays consistently high, 12th, 5th and 2nd in TCR number 6. And apparently his favourite ice cream flavour, which I know you're all dying to know, is Raspberry Ripple. Matthew Faulkner. Good choice. Neil Phillips. Come on up. Neil has raced both as a pair and as a solo, winning the pairs category with his partner Tim France in TCR number three. And he's also raced the inaugural Trans-Pyrenees this year, organised by Lost Dot as well, of course, and was maintaining an impressive lead, after, especially over the exceptionally mountainous route until saddle sores unfortunately cut short his race. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. I'm sure you all know who Rory is. Yes. <laughs> He's got an... Ex- where, where have you gone? Uh, of course. He's got an exceptional jumper on tonight. He was hoping to put a few people off with, uh, with, the, with the route reveal, but I think we all know that it's not going to the Pyrenees, unless you're doing some really bad routing. Um, <laughs> Rory actually knows the race really well himself as he raced TCR number four. And since 2017, he's been a crucial part aiding, um, aiding in the lost dot running in Mike Hall's legacy of running the transcontinental race and the trans-Pyrenees. And finally, but by no means least, we have Tom Probert. Come on up, bud. This is the one person that I can claim to have raced myself. <laughs> So Tom raced both number TCR number five and number six in the solo category and had quite a dramatic time, as tales recount. And then more recently entered TCR number seven as a pair. He also uh, entered TCR number, sorry, Trans-Pyrenees race this year and the inaugural GB Duro, which he excelled in. It was good to see you at checkpoint one. And amongst other events on the racing calendar. He's also a talented designer and he's behind... The logos that you'll see as part of the control point logos and the brevet card design since 2017. An appreciation for Tom Probert. Thank you very much. So we're going to start out by asking these riders what it was that um, inspired them, what it was that caught their eye to, to enter transcontinental race for the first time. Should we start with you, Darren? Sure. Um, <laughs> I think um, I'd only been cycling for two years when I um, took the start line, um, which is probably not that unusual amongst TCR riders, to be honest, I think. Um, but the, what caught my eye was that it, it felt like the most absurd idea possible. And, um, yeah, if you're looking for a fairly extreme challenge, it, it, I mean, it just felt like there was nothing bigger than that. Um, so it was quite an easy thing to sort of to shoot towards I had no idea if I could accomplish it but um, but the idea definitely appealed and yourself Jane? Um, I arrived unusually with two weeks notice I had never heard about the race I didn't even know what I was turning up to ride if I'm honest didn't re- read the manual <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, somebody's partner pulled out and she put a Facebook 
search out basically and I answered that was it and what was it about that search that caught your imagination or were you just it a very really, good friend it really wasn't it, no I didn't know her either <laughs> so, <laughs> a friend saw it on Facebook said you might be interested I said yeah sure and why not that was it that's how it happened with two weeks to go so yeah it was great wow no that's, planning, that's a very no unique story it was yeah it was lovely <laughs> And yourself, James. Possibly a bit different. No, uh, yeah, you can hear me. Uh, not too different. Uh, I like seeing new places, and I like the idea of seeing how fast I could go on a bike, and I entered. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Karen, what made you enter TCR? Um, so I first heard about the race in the summer of 2016, um, and I was uh, in the library writing up my uh, master's dissertation, and uh, yeah had just discovered the race and so was kind of closely following watching the dots but also reading the really amazing race reportage for that for 2016 race whoever did that was totally wonderful and a great uh, procrastination um, from my dissertation anyway it just made me think that there's so much um, out there in the world to see and I was stuck in a library all summer so it kind of piqued my interest um, and I quite like doing things on my own. I quite like doing being self-supportive, um, being self-supported kind of generally in life. Um, and I thought it was something that was interesting to me. I might be okay at. I could possibly get round. Um, so it was kind of a curiosity. Um, yeah, I was intrigued to know what would happen to me. Uh, kind of how would I deal with it psychologically and physically? And it was that kind of yeah. I was just curious as to what would happen basically. So the unknown and the challenge and possibly a distraction. <laughs> yes, all three. Yeah. <laughs> Great, Matt. Hello. Uh, Hello. Um, so one of the things I wanted to do was ride the bike with challenge a bit further, but also to have a bit of an expedition to somewhere where you know, I wouldn't normally sort of go to or find a map. Yeah, the, the race kind of gave me a window to, to do that in a short period of time. When I first entered, I was never really in racing properly but it was more just to find out what I could do and have a bit of an adventure and, and see where that would take me and just to interrupt what is it about the TCR that is it four times three times Lose count. Four, four, times. four times what is it about the TCR that keeps you coming back time after time there's lots of different things I think um, just being on your own riding your bike um, just having that simple life of finding some food water you know maybe some sleep at the end of um, but it just kind of, you know, it's, it's quite freeing, you know, just being uh, on your own doing that thing. It takes away all of the stresses from life. It sounds bizarre that you would put yourself in that situation to, you know, take away from stress. But, it, yeah, it's kind of much simpler for me, I think. So having seen the new checkpoints for next year, what's your first reactions on those? It's very interesting. <laughs> Get an entry. In. <laughs> Great. And finally, Neil, what made you enter the race in the first place? Well, I saw, oh, I don't know if this I think you might need a wired one. So I saw the first um, race mid-PhD. I thought, I can't do the second, but I should finish by the time the third one comes out. So I entered. I hadn't finished my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> but... The thing that I was doing more miles whilst road racing um, and the two things were like going in different directions, but it was something that I could do miles and kind of fixate on the racing side of things as well. So did that and yeah, eventually finished my PhD for the fourth time, for the, the number four. Um, but yeah, it was the kind of racing aspect whilst getting out there, exploring, um, seeing new things and kind of pushing my body to kind of a different place um, and knowing what I could do rather than kind of being in a bunch and just yeah. mixing it up a bit. And then, oh, Sorry, stay there, Neil. And then, of course, it's been a couple of years and then you've most recently entered TPR. How did that compare and what was it that's brought you back into the realm of self-supported racing? Um, I don't know what. They're very similar. They're 
although TPR's kind of it's very Western, it's it's French, it's Spain, it's very familiar. Where the transcon takes you into those deeper depths of Eastern Europe and you, the unfamiliar. Um, but I think it was just a race that was in October. I think. <laughs> No, yeah, no, I'd be, I'd, uh, I had a really heavy road season and I was getting to the end of the summer seeing like the Transcon, seeing the Silk Road, seeing friends do the unsupported things. And it's just like, oh, shit, I should probably go back and try and do something. So, um, yeah, I just kind of needed that to scratch that itch. And it, it, it was there at the right time, so... Um, yeah, it was kind of perfect timing after a road season. Great, thank you. And finally, again, but by no means least, Tom, what was it that got you into TCR in the first place? Um, so I found out about TCR on my first uh, kind of unsported race, which was actually a, a mountain bike race in Israel. This was about four or five years ago. And I was really like in at the deep end on that one. And it was quite a traumatic experience, really, really hard. And my conclusion from that was I actually really enjoyed, because I came at it from the point of view of like adventure and um, travel. That's what I was really interested in. So I loved that part of the this race. And I actually really enjoyed the racing competitive part of it, surprisingly. Um, but I just really hated like carrying my bike across terrain and someone told me about the transcontinental they said well you know this is another thing that exists and I thought well, it, that sounds like all the bits that I like from this without the carrying your bike you know you can stay on your bike for the for the entirety of the race so I thought okay that sounds like the one for me and you say you had a bit of a traumatic time in Israel you had a pretty traumatic GCCR number five didn't you yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I carried on after that one, actually. But apart from the fact that I didn't manage to finish TCR number five, so that then gives you the impetus to carry on and do the next one. And then as soon as you do one where it works and you realise you can get to the end and, and you work out how to do it, then maybe you kind of think, oh, I could do more of these. And you know, then you end up entering five in one year, <laughs> like this year. <laughs> and then... Realise maybe you need to not do any the following year. <laughs> so moving on to our next sort of subject, and we'll stick with you, Tom. What was it that you learnt maybe from that first or even second TCR that helped you to go further? And what are your feelings about the race now, having done it several times? Um, I think for me the big theme of do, from that first TCR was uh, I was constantly surprising myself, and I think that's what's so rewarding about it. You know when there's not many opportunities in life where you really genuinely surprise yourself because you're not having to push yourself to that extent, usually in, in day-to-day life. So I think I learned on the on the good side of that that I had the resources and stuff within me to get through this like constant barrage of just everything going wrong because I wasn't really that well prepared for it and somehow found myself kind of getting close to the end somehow you know, thinking how have I managed to actually get through all of these problems and almost like reveling in that a little bit and enjoying, oh, it's another problem and I'm going to fix that and I'm going to get through it rather than kind of freaking out. Um, and then on the, the flip side of that, it I was surprised at how much uh, my brain wanted to kind of take the easy way out sometimes and sort of, you know, you don't, sometimes you learn things about yourself that you don't necessarily like, you know, and it's like, you, then you realize things that you need to improve about yourself. So it's kind of a lot of self-improvement. Great, thank you. And Neil, it's been a, cu- a couple of times at Transcon and TPR. Will you come back to self-supported racing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, Very different to road racing, mind. Yeah, no, I definitely, I, I love it. It's it's so good. It it pushes you mentally um, and physically, but I think it's the mental side of things. It really takes you somewhere that puts you into a place you're really struggling. When things go wrong, you're super tired. Like you've not slept very much for a couple of days, and 
your body's hurting, but and then your routine goes wrong or something, and it just forces you to kind of take that step back and kind of that deep breath and kind of figure out what where you're going to go. Um, so it, I just think it really pushes you in in that mental state and kind of develops you as a person. So yeah, I'll definitely be back. I'm glad um, to hear it. But so, so for the both of you, it's it's really this problem solving. It's like a buzz you get from getting over that, is it? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> On to Matt. You've done a fair few TCRs. What have you learned, and what are you still doing wrong? Um, <laughs> I, that's a, I do a lot wrong. Um, I think one of the, the first things I learned was focusing on uh, problems that are actually affecting you moving forward. So as long as you can still keep going, it's not actually a problem. So you kind of just a, a general sort of problem solving thing is like, do you need to actually do you know, fix it in that moment? Um, I still make that mistake, though. Like when you're tired and you're stressed and, or you know, you need food and you're hungry. Um, it's, it's easy to kind of forget those simple things. Like I, I spent a, a long time trying to get Wi-Fi in a, in a small town just to, so I could check Instagram. And then I suddenly realized <laughs> this is not really that important. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, little things like that. And they, they, they yeah, learning to, to get past those things really help just save time and, and keep you moving forward. Brilliant. And Karen? What did you learn from your experience at TCR that you've uh, taken forward with you as you've gone on to other races? Um, I mean, to echo what Tom and um, Neil said, is uh, in terms of learning about myself, I think I, I learned that I'm quite good at pushing myself a lot further than I think I can go. Um, and that probably applies to, to everyone that enters any kind of race like this. You just you're a lot stronger mentally often than you are physically. So your mind's like, yes, keep going. But your body's like, oh, I can't go any further. <laughs> um, so um, I guess from that, I've taken quite a lot of strength and confidence, both kind of physically and mentally into into the rest of my life. Um, the lesson, the question was though, what did I learn from TCR that I have applied to other races? Probably just kind of taking some some confidence that, stuff is inevitably going to go wrong and that's that's okay that's kind of that's racing that's life um and it's how you deal with that 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 matters um and also if you don't deal with it well also that doesn't really matter you'll probably have another interesting experience when you deal with something not so well um and yeah i think the second thing i've learned is um or maybe not learned but just constantly being reminded um, when I do this kind of racing is just and it's very corny to say but it's true but it's just like people uh, there are a lot of really great kind people out there and quite often when stuff go, does go wrong there's a stranger walking by who just says one one thing that makes you realize it's okay or but yeah yeah uh, I don't know just had a lot of really great encounters with people when I was at my lowest points um, that kind of helped pick me up um, and I think in these dark times, it's really important to remember that people can be really kind. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's really great, thank you. And James, what did you take forward from our, from uh, your TCR experience? Uh, I think Karen mentioned some really good answers there about you're capable of a lot more than you think you are. And so I'd agree with that. But to add on to that is about preparation, that uh, anything is manageable and you can accomplish a lot, but you need to be prepared before you step into that. So if you're going to ride your bike 4,000 kilometers across a continent, you need to think about everything that's going to be involved with that, whether it's food, shelter, the bike, the bike fit, um, yourself mentally, physically, and what you might encounter along the way and just become prepared for that. You can't plan for every eventuality, but you can be prepared for things that might happen so that you can deal with them when they do happen. And, and that's what I've learned and I've been able to take that to other areas of my life. So I guess this is a question for yourself and Karen. What have you done if anything, to prepare for TCR mentally before you got there? Um, well, for me, uh, TCR was kind of a total... Um, I was very much out of my depth. I'd never really done any... Um, it was my first bike race ever. Um, and so I guess to prepare mentally for it, I felt like I had to do a lot of physical preparation because I, I really didn't know you know I hadn't eight months beforehand I'd never ridden over 200 kilometers so I felt like in order to be mentally prepared I had need to kind of be physically prepared to know I at least had that baseline um and that confidence that I could kind of get through it but then in terms of kind of preparing for the uh the unexpected the kind of expected unexpected so to speak um I mean, I think I, I tried to make sure that I had a good understanding of what the geography, for example, was like around. Um, so I planned my route. I spent a long time planning my route, but I also tried to make sure that I had a good understanding of what the roads and the topology was like around that route. So that if and slash when I inevitably had to reroute for because the road I'd selected was um, not rideable or for whatever reason I would need to change routes, I kind of at least had a an understanding of what different backup plans might be or kind of you know if I didn't like riding on the flat plains I knew that there was mountains if I decided to take a more northerly route or whatever things like that um and also try to have as good a kind of um uh understanding of bike mechanics as possible which has failed me in both of the unsupported races that I've done I've had the same problem both times didn't work out how to fix it in between because I'm an idiot um so if I was going to do another race I would definitely learn how to deal with a mashed up uh shifter um so yeah things like that just trying to make sure you've got as, as much knowledge um and also the right tools to kind of unpick mechanical situations or or navigation issues I think Karen's answer of getting some experience of what you're going to be doing is is really valid and I've done the TCR four times. So before the first time that I did it, I'd never ridden long distance. So one of the things I went out and did was ride long distances to give myself both the confidence and the knowledge that I was capable of doing those things. And then I could put that away in the bank. As it went on into further editions, and I'd obviously been able to ride 4,000 kilometers, I knew that I could do that. It was in the bank. I didn't need to worry about it. So I thought more about what went wrong in previous races, what I experienced in previous races, and then dealt with those problems that they probably wouldn't be occurring again, or if they did occur, how I would deal with them quickly and efficiently. Perfect. Thank you. Moving on to Jane, what did you learn from your experiences, especially as you've done it twice, um, from the first GCR, and how did that affect you in your second? Uh, so the first time I rode it was, I started as a pair, 
completely unprepared. Finished it solo, which amazed I amazed myself, but I didn't really think about it at the time. I just, the decision was made, my partner was pulling out, I carried on. And it was only in hindsight, after finishing, that I amazed that I could do that. I had problems, they solved themselves, as long as you don't get too caught up in them. People seem to happen along or a solution presents itself. I knew that I couldn't navigate very well, and I know that I, that's... That's the scariest thing for me. If I come off route, then who knows what's going to happen. So that was my learning to go into the second one, was, um, like James says, the distance, once you've done it, you kind of know you can do it. Maybe you can do it a bit faster. Two is, I know I can't sleep outside very well. So navigate through towns, but not big towns, because I get too lost. And everything beyond that is fairly simple. Your legs go up and down. You will get aches and pains. Knowing, for me, uh, t to solve like friction pains is the biggest issue. Get that sorted early. Life is a joy. <laughs> and then, yeah, just keep, just keep pedalling. You'll get there at the end of the day. And it's as simple as life, isn't it? You will get there. Great, thank you. And finally, Darren, what did you learn from your TCA experiences? Um, a lot of repetition, actually. Um, I think the guys have covered most points, but for me, the big one was uh, was um, a chance, an opportunity to really learn about yourself. Um, the TCR and races like that are one of the kind of rare opportunities in modern life to really kind of strip yourself bare. You know, and, I mean, you really are stripped to the core and kind of, you, you know, it breaks down everything about you and, and really asks you or gives you an opportunity to find out what you're made of. Um, you know, for good or bad. Um, I kind of was fairly happy with most of the answers I got. Um, but it, it's nice to kind of put yourself in that, in that place. Um, and then after the race, um, it kind of changed my, my way of looking at things. So I was, I was very much kind of destination focused when I started the, the, you know, the journey towards the TCR. And then it's only really once the the effect of the race had sunk in that you you learn to like properly learn to appreciate the journey itself, um, and that was very valuable. Um, and then to echo what Jane said, um, to learn the value of a of a good saddle and choosing the right saddle. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, the TCR. If it's going to teach you one thing, it's it's definitely that. Fantastic, thank you. So moving on to our second topic which is Mike's vision and ethos. How did Mike's vision shape the TCR of unsupported racing in general? What do you think makes the TCR special? Should we start with you, Darren? Sure. Um, I think the fact that it's so simple, it's so pure. Um, you know, there are only 10 rules. Um, it's not glamorous. It's not sexy, really. Um, it's pretty ugly, in fact. But the fact that I mean, he sums it up really well when he says, you know, you can just sort of shake hands at the start and agree, like, let's have a race, see you in Turkey. And that it's such a hard thing to do that that kind of integrity kind of just shines through. It's just not worth kind of any skullduggery or anything. It's kind of, it's um, it's a very pure thing to do. Um, and in, in kind of modern sports that have kind of, they've been over-regulated, there's lots of rules. It's kind of, it's very scientific there's something really pure about just riding for 4,000 kilometres across a continent. Um, yeah, that really appeals. And do you think part of that is due to the fact that there's no prize money or glitz and glamour or, you know, real celebration of that? Um, I think that's a part of it. I think it's... There's no way to make 4,000 non-stop kilometres pretty. You know, it's, it's going to be a tough experience. There's no, there's no way of cheating yourself out of a really tough time. Um, which I think attracts the right sort of people. Um, you know, that just keeps it pure. We'll head over the other side now to Tom. So how has Mike's vision affected the way that you've raced? And um, that um, the, the fact that it's very much for your own purpose rather than for any prize money or any great... Um, accomplishment in that sort of sense rather than a personal accomplishment at the end? How has that affected you? Um, I think what you realise about it is that... 
this one? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think what, what you realize from doing it in the end is that you get out of it what you put in. So the whole thing is really based on how you feel about it and how happy you are with your own race. And the whole thing really just exists in the minds of all the, the riders because it's so simple and because everyone's so spread out and everyone's ultimately just kind of on their bikes, on their own, in the middle of nowhere. It's really just this kind of abstract idea that Mike has outlined that everyone's believing in that keeps it uh, as a, a special thing and gives it that kind of focus and makes it so special. Um, so I think that's that's what you realise the... the, the you realize how important the, the rules are um, because everyone believing in those rules and adhering to them and having that mutual respect that everyone's going to adhere to them is what makes the whole thing mean something in the end. So when you finish and you can kind of chat to everyone else that's finished and feel like you're on the same level as them, that you've all competed in the same thing and uh, done everything you possibly can and face all the challenges and had to overcome them because you're doing it within the rules, uh, it, it not only makes it more meaningful and special that you've done it, but it also kind of uh, creates the community because everyone's in that together and they're all adhering to the same kind of rules. So, yeah, I think that's that's what I've realised maybe between the, the first one and, and the third one is, like, just... Uh, the, 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 they're not there for no reason, you know. That's the, the kind of the whole thing that keeps it keeps it together and keeps it special thank you we'll pass over to neil and i'm really interested to hear your perspective on this because you're a lot of road racing and i'd love to say that british road racing is anything but self-supported but that's probably quite far from the truth um how does this compare for you and uh, was there anything in mike's vision that really attracted you to tcr i think the tcr is different to a lot of unsupported races is that there are checkpoints and they are your, your points that you have to hit, and then everything else is down to you. It's not a route. You, you don't just turn up at the start line and go, GPX on, done, go. You do, but it's what, you've, what is there is your designing. So you get the choices of where you go. It tests you because there are going to be mistakes in your route. And when you're five, six, seven days in and everything's hurting and everything's fatigued and, and you just want to stop and then it, you end up at the bottom of some footpath and go, oh, shit. <laughs> like, and, and you've got to go, oh, how do I get out of this? It's, it's, that, it's that mental kind of test that you don't get through anything else. Um, that brings you out and and makes you think about what you're doing and kind of re really pushes you. Um, and as um, is kind of commonly used is um, Christoph's quote, you know, what happens if you get lost? Well, you get unlost. <laughs> you, you just have to kind of step over that and, and go forward and kind of push yourself. Um, which is what really attracted me to the race and kind of makes things that bit harder. But yeah, compared to you know British road racing, it's, it's like a million times different. The two things are, yeah, not comparable. But better, obviously. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Great, moving over to Matt. What is it about Mike's vision that really captures your imagination and keeps you hopefully 2020, uh, racing, TCR? So I think it's been touched on a few times, but everyone kind of needs to ride their own race and it is everyone's own adventure. Um, no matter whether you're, you know, duking it out at the front with, um, you know, trying to get the, get to the front and or, or, you you know, you're kind of taking it easy at the back. It, everyone's having their own adventure, no matter what happens. Um, and I think, you know, for me, that's, you know, you know, like you mentioned, with you, know, you have to plot your own route. You have to take your own journey uh, to get to the finish, and that comes into the you know the ethos of you know the um, some of the rules and the self-supported. Is you, you know you kind of you're in it for yourself. It doesn't 
um, you know, taking a, a shortcut or you know, cheating, it, it's, it, it doesn't add any value other than to you know, defeat your own purpose of getting there. Um, I think you know, on top of that as well, you do, you're not alone on this race. And I think that's one of the things that as much as you are on your own a lot of the time, there's, there's a dozen people watching you there from the dot watchers. There's, there's people you meet at the, the checkpoints and the controls, and then there's the riders you meet on the road. And that camaraderie, and that enforces a lot of those ideals. And, um, yeah. Great, thank you. Karen, anything to add? Um, well, really just to, to echo, I mean, yeah, echo what everyone else is saying, but um, I think it's uh, there's something quite special about the, the way that Mike's vision and this race kind of really encourages adventure and racing for the sake of adventure and, and racing um, end of. And um, it's really, for me, was totally overwhelming the community of people that it's brought together. And I think... Um, you know, kind of, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty humbled to be sitting up here because I'm looking out into the audience and there are many far more accomplished um, and established experienced riders than I am out there um, sitting in the audience um, who probably have a lot more to say than I do. But um, but I just think the, the, the way that the race has brought this amazing community of um, uh, amazing people together that are really kind of supportive of one another is pretty unique and not something that I've encountered in, in any other part of my life, be it through kind of friendship or politics or sport or work or whatever. Um, and yeah, that's kind of testimony to, to Mike's vision. I think that's really one of the things personally as a, a bit of an outsider, as a dot watcher, shall we say, um, that really sets this race apart from so many others is the community aspect. Um, I'm one of those nerds on the Facebook group that doesn't really contribute much, but really enjoys seeing whether it's updates from people during the race or whether it's people six months out uh, sharing their training plans or whatever. Um, but it's how do you take that community of people that are so supportive and yet when it comes to those few weeks that it's during the race, make sure that um, make sure that it doesn't go any further in breach of the rules. Um, so it must be hard if you're on the road and you meet a fellow rider who has an issue, for example. Um, have you ever been put in that situation yourself? Um, no, I think I've more been the one on the other side of the situation <laughs> where I've been by the roadside with a mechanical with everyone riding straight past me. Um, but yeah. Uh, tempting as it was to ask for help, it was also tempting to sit and eat pastries by the roadside <laughs> whilst I worked out what to do for myself. Yeah. Um, and that's really admirable because at the end of the day, it is a race and, and you've got to uphold these rules to be within qualifying of, of finishing or GC. So, yeah, it's it's as much as you might want to be able to help people who have you might have met online before the race, um, you might have a good connection with, you might have raced with previously, it's, it's really important to uphold these rules. So we'll move on to James. Um, what was it about Mike's ethos surrounding the race that you took on board that really inspired you to race TCR? I think your question has two parts because you asked why I was inspired to race the race and then a bit about Mike's visions and they're kind of completely different answers. But to talk about the vision uh, and what the race meant to me it was very much what Karen hit on was about community. And it's not about something that you come in, you do, you take from and you leave. It's about something you come into, you do, you give and you give more than you take from. So it's about building both the race and the sport and everything and developing it and developing it and helping other people as well. So to make sure that you're giving back more than you are taking from it, whether that's taking in sort of a race result or taking from sort of as you develop yourself as a person and making sure that you can you just give back more. And it's about that community. Great. Thank you. So our final subject of the night before we take a little break is about the rules that state that equipment and supplies must be carried or found at commercial services. There are methods of resupply that are open to all competitors. It's the supply of equipment or nourishment that is specifically for one rider at the exclusion of others that are prohibited. So why is this important for this kind of race, Darren? Um, I think it's, I mean, any sport 
kind of lives and dies by the kind of equality, you know, the idea of fairness that you're all competing on a level playing field. Um, but on an individual level, um, the TCR is such a hard thing to do. Um, it feels like you'd really cheat yourself, you cheapen your experience if you if you kind of bent the rules. Um, I mean, personally, I think I'm I'm inclined to kind of overshoot the rules by a decent margin to make sure that I feel like I've I've, I've squeezed everything and I've not cheapened my you know my race experience. Great. And have any of you ever had an experience where you've had maybe a really friendly dot watcher on the side of the road that wants to give you an ice cream or a sandwich or something and you've had to say, oh, like, that's very kind, but actually, no thanks. Uh, yeah, I'll take the answer to this one. And I think it's good that I perhaps answer this because I'm generally at the front of the race. And I say that in an honest way. But it also means it also means that a lot more people come out to see me when I am racing than perhaps person that is at the end because they're perhaps a bit busy or less inclined. And so I get a lot more dot watchers that come out to see me. And my opinion on this situation is that that person is probably not coming out to dot watch or visit every single person that's coming out along the race. And therefore, if they are, and this is what happened to me in, a, in an unnamed country, I'm not going to blame anyone, holding out a shopping bag full of Snickers and Coke as advertised, to me, is more or less private resupply. Because that person won't be there at any time of day, at any given weather, to offer the same opportunity to anyone else doing the race. And it is all about equal opportunity. And that's how you need to consider it. And if someone else doesn't have the same equal opportunity as you do in that time and situation, then it is private resupply. And so I get a lot more people coming out to me to offer me these things, and therefore I have to say no to them. A, because I would, because that's abiding by the rule, but B, to set the precedent that it's not acceptable and it's not okay because it's not equal opportunity for all. And you asked about Mike's vision, and that's what it is. It's equal opportunity for all to achieve the same. chip in actually interestingly the the trans am bike race um another one that mike until very recently held the record for um that's got a slightly different interpretation of this so the dot watching community out there is is ferociously enthusiastic um and the the difference obviously is that it's it's a fixed route and it follows an established bike path that's been there for 40 years so people know exactly where you're going to come through and the dot watchers out there um uh, in contrast they they do supply absolutely everybody and sometimes it's quite militant so like you'll be you'll be flagged down and you will stop and they will give you coke and they will give you snickers um uh, so under those circumstances i don't mind so much i i totally agree with you it absolutely needs to be available to everybody um like i said before you can't afford to cheapen your experience by kind of taking advantage of anything that's not available to all of your competitors and I think that's the real thing as well that people mention is it's it's not only your race result and whether you will make it onto GC or finish, it's your own experience and being true to yourself. Does anybody else have any experiences similar, Tom? How many Snickers did you eat? Be honest. I'll feel bad. I'll feel bad if I don't bring this up, so I'm going to... Bit of a confessional. Is this the So TCR 7 this year, uh, myself and my race partner, Adrian, um, had, a, had a similar situation. Dot Watcher comes out and uh, re- he's actually the, the head of a little cycling group and he's brought all these little cycling prodigies with him. And um, he, he was really insistent. that So he came out to see us. He'd been dot watching us he came out to see us and he was really insistent that we go to his cafe that he owned and uh you know that have you know can just come and have a drink with us and some food and stuff and we we were actually getting some food ourselves at the time we we're getting some like kebabs or something and uh so we're like oh we're getting our food but uh yeah so we, we haven't really got time and then uh, eventually he was so insistent we were like oh okay all right yeah we'll, we'll come and just like have a drink with you and um, so we ended up going to this cafe and then he sent out two of these little bike races that he was training up to go and buy us loads of food. And they came, they came back with like two shopping bags full of like apples and Coke and Snickers and all sorts of stuff. And it was like kind of more than we could 
comfortably carry. And the, 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 the thing about this is that, um, and these are like nuanced little gray areas of the, the rules, right? And um, like I said, you, you have to be comfortable with your own interpretation of it and your own race and the, the, the kind of rules that you've adhered to yourself. And uh, for for someone like James that's at the at the, the point end of the race and there's really some high stakes stuff going on and it's like the difference between winning and not winning. I think it definitely the, these rules have to be like super adhered to. We were somewhere kind of down the down the bottom and we we were a bit embarrassed because these guys were like, oh my god, you know, you're doing the TCR, it's amazing. And we were looking at them and going, well, the, you're clearly much better bike riders than <laughs> than we are. So. Um, we felt fairly happy because we were having this amazing experience, which for us, it was kind of an important part of the race, you know, the adventure and these experiences that you have along the way. Um, uh, is this still on? Still on? <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, now I feel better because I've confessed that. <laughs> So you took the food. We took we took the food and we ate it all. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, James. <laughs> but part part of that is the fact that you then took quite a lot of time. So like you you did this kind of polite thing and you spoke to these people, but that took quite a lot of your race yeah. time actually from you. So there you're kind of like you're actually giving yourself a problem because you're. You're going with them to spend time with them, and which you wouldn't normally do if you were, yeah. How many hours did you do? <laughs> <laughs> About five hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, hours to Snickers <laughs> Well, thanks for the confession, Tom. <laughs> um, now, there's a couple of riders here that have ridden both as solo and as pairs. Obviously, one of the advantages as riding as a pair is that you can share equipment and food, etc. Um, for those of you that have ridden as a pair and then solo, why do you think it's so important that riders riding solo shouldn't share equipment? Jane, handing over to you. Riding as a pair is hard. I would say harder than riding solo because you have to be in sync with each other. So maybe you have an advantage if you're having a bad time, your partner can lift you, but you have to coordinate your toilet breaks, when you're going to eat, what time you're going to go to bed, when you're going to get up. If bad moods can spread, you can get angry with each other. Though it might be two of you, but you still can't fix anything mechanical, which then compounds everything because there's two of you now stuck. Also, as a pair, I think it's important you have your plan B. You have an exit strategy that's discussed and agreed before it happens, probably before you leave home. Um, solo riders obviously have, having ridden solo, I'm in control of everything then. So I make all of the decisions. As a pair, there's a lot of compromise. And a lot of times it doesn't work out. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes sitting over dinner and chatting with someone's nice. But sharing equipment as solo. We're in, we're in different races anyway. There's a different GC going on. So, yeah, we're in one race, but we're separate. So different rules apply, I think. And Tom, would you add anything to that in terms of your experiences of solo versus um, as a pair? Did you share much equipment as a pair? We, we weren't that organised. <laughs> I sp if you were being uh, clever about it I think you would divvy up all of your supplies to take advantage of that um, we didn't have the foresight to do that but then post-rationalised it as like kind of doubling up on supplies so that we've got a kind of fail-safe if things, if things didn't work um, which you know actually does work quite well um, you're being quite minimal with your kit anyway, so it's not like, you know, it, I don't think you get that much weight saving from sharing stuff because all your kit is so light anyway. Um, yeah. And one of our final questions, why shouldn't riders send themselves a package on the road? Ooh, yeah, it's a spicy one, isn't it? Who wants to take it? The short answer is it's just the rules, isn't it? Read the rules is what it says. Don't do it. Anyone else? Yeah. Um, 
There are some races where sending stuff ahead is allowed, but the fact is, in the rules, it explicitly states you are not allowed to send things ahead. You're not allowed to book hotels before the race starts. It's quite simple. It's in the rules. It's not a grey area. This is very much a black area, and you're breaking the rule by doing it wrong. It doesn't need explanation on why it's not acceptable or not, because it's just in the rules. Very good. And this is a bit, this is a bit off topic, but if you could send yourself anything to when you're in your very darkest moment, what would it be? Quick fire round. Different saddle. <laughs> Jane. Oh, no, I have no idea. No idea at all. My twin. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say fresh pair of legs. Yeah. So. <laughs> Ice cream. <laughs> I suppose because of the TPR, a new bum. Motorbike. Petrol scooter. <laughs> Thank you very much to these guys. Um, <laughs> obviously, they're going to be hanging around afterwards, so feel free to fire them any questions um, as we're going to take a little short break now, comfort break, get a few beers. For those of you that are watching live on Facebook, we're now going to be showing our onboard screening of the trailer for the TCR film, which is very exciting. Um, for those of you here at Look Mum No Hands in London, uh, do, do stick with us, grab a beer, um, and we'll be back in 20. Thank you very much. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 